broadcasting through Zephram Cochran's last known whereabouts. This is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ, Kalos the Unforgettable. Welcome everybody to Politrex. We're so glad that you've managed to make it to our podcast this time around. Of course, we are in a very unknown whereabouts as it is and as it stands. Now, normally I would be introducing the often imitated, never replicated Mr. Shashankavaru, but uh, if you check out our Patreon feed pretty soon, we're going to be hearing about what's up with him. Turns out he got a puppy and I'm on my own to introduce the podcast today. So, kind of feel a little weird because uh, it's true when I say he is often imitated and never replicated in this respect. I can't replicate him. I don't have the technology. I've been working on the 3D printer now for a while and it just doesn't seem to be working. So here we stand in this juncture. You just have me, Barry DeFord. I am happy to be a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network, as is Shashank, and his brand new puppy, Zod. So you may pledge your allegiance. If you ever wanted to get in touch with us, you can always do that on Facebook. Find us at Politrex or on Twitter at Politrex as well. You can also leave a voicemail in at the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527, and always you can leave a message with us. So normally we'd be moving on to the news at this point, however, I am actually going to be putting forward a challenge to the Politrex listeners. Find yourself a news story. A lot has happened. There have been bombings in Syria. Uh, As of today in Nebraska, there was a... uh, neo-Nazi demonstration that took place and a bunch of Antifa activists ended up getting arrested rather than the neo-Nazis themselves, at least as it stands. We also have North Korea signing a nuclear deal basically to say that it won't be building any more nuclear weapons. So uh, yeah, check it out on uh, BBC, on CNN, on Fox, on Associated Press, Reuters, you name it, find it, and hashtag Politrex, your take on the Star Trek ability or the Star Trek connection to that news event. We challenge you to it. So this week's episode is going to be fantastic. We are so excited to be giving that out to you all. It's a great conversation with Shashank and myself and the illustrious Dan Devi, who is the founder of Gaze in Space. We also have the illustrious writer Wilhelm coming in to speak to us as well. I was lucky enough to meet Ryder in Las Vegas last year, and so was Shashank, and we get a great conversation from both individuals. We're very excited to be passing that on to you folks and to give you a listen to what I think is probably one of the greatest of the two interviews that we've had so far. More to come, of course, as well. So, without further ado, I will send us off onto the main topic.
Welcome, everyone, to the main topic. Today, we get to talk with some great people. They're here to tell us all about the experience of being part of two fantastic communities, the Star Trek fan community, and more importantly, the LGBTQ plus community. We have Ryder Wilhelm and Dan Devi with us, and I am over the moon to uh, have you folks here. Shashank and I are very excited, and I feel that this can be uh, it can be easy to fall into one's own perspective, uh, and here it's no different. So this is a chance for folks who love Trek who may not be acquainted with the Grand Underverse communities that we have to just get to know all the different sides of Trek fandom and what I think is one of the cornerstones of uh, Trek fandom. So without further ado, Ryder and Dan, we'll start with Ryder. If you can uh, introduce yourself and uh, yeah, maybe what your uh, favorite uh, Star Trek series is. Hi, so uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. My name's Ryder. I'm a queer Trek fan. Uh, my favorite series, I would have to say, is Voyager. Man, that that's a that's a good that's a good choice to go with. Uh, Dan, we would love for you to follow up with a little intro about yourself and your favorite show. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Dan Deby, the founder of, and I'm going to have to say it properly. Gays in space. See if I say it just gays in space, guys. No one's gonna know that you have to type in three A's and three A's because when people look for us on social media, they'll put in one A here, two A's there. It's it's a whole jumble. I don't know where they end up, but they don't end up with us. So I had to say it properly. Thank you for indulging me. And also, I'd just like to say, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me to be on. And uh, Barry, I was absolutely right about being excited for your radio voice. Dude, you belong on NPR. You sound great. Just had to throw that out there. Mm. Uh, uh, (laughs) And then as far as favorite uh, Star Trek, I've always felt that Deep Space Nine was the best series because the original series and TNG really kind of set the board up. And Deep Space Nine got to play. And that's uh, that's pretty much. And they're the first Star Trek series to do a serialized story, which was so far ahead of its time. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm DS9 all the way. Ryder, I love you. But Dan, that was the right answer. Yeah, thank you. Yes, <laughs> I would. I would definitely agree. And, and we've we've had sort of a running gag of, of rap. Um, references happening. So I, I, I agree with you, Dan, that, that uh, TOS and TNG laced the track and DS9 locked the flow. But I do have to say, wow. I have a pretty, yes. Yeah. I have a, I have a pretty, uh, pretty soft spot in my heart for Voyager too. So, you know what? I think we just need to, we need to pop into all those sorts of things. So maybe just to start off, what draws you, and I'm going to go Dan first this time, Dan, what draws you as a Trek fan? What, what draws you in? What, what's the big thing about it? Um, well, you know, it's, it's interesting when I, the first time I watched Star Trek, I did it by accident because I I grew up in New York and I had a nightly ritual when I would stay at my grandmother's house. I mean, this is when I was like six, seven years old and we would watch the honeymooners at 1130 PM on channel 11 every night because the honeymooners is still Jackie Gleason. They called him the great one for a reason. He's still hilarious. And so we would watch it every night. And then one night and at at midnight, Star Trek would come on reruns of the original series. Well, we would always turn the television off before that happened. Well, one night 
there were no remote controls yet because, yes, that is how old I am. So we had to physically get up to turn the TV off. Well, for some reason, we didn't do it, and Star Trek came on. And it just happened to be the episode Mirror Mirror, which is arguably one of the best of the series. And so from that point on, suddenly I said, you know, this is there's really something here. This is a good show. And by the time Next Generation started, which is what I really grew up on, I realized that looking at these characters and and watching them develop as human beings, they became my role models. They became the people that, that I aspired to be like. They showed me what it meant to truly be a good person, to be a moral person, to make the hard choices because it's the right thing to do. And I unfortunately didn't have a whole lot of role models in my immediate family to look up to. It was kind of more of like, just do it the opposite of the way they're doing it, and I should be okay. But then I'd watch Star Trek, and I'd see these people doing it the right way and being the best people that they could be. And I just wanted to spend as much time as I could with them and you know, kind of learn as much as I could from them. It is totally incredible that... For people across the world, from the stories I've heard, it's that they find these role models in characters that really don't even exist in our foreseeable timeline. It's it's pretty fascinating that we find people that we fall in love with from the 23rd and 24th centuries. Ryder, what about you? Do you remember the first time you saw Trek anything? Well, uh, I remember I was a child when The Next Generation uh, was on TV and... I remember watching it at a friend's house. We didn't really watch it in my home until I discovered it at my best friend's house. And I came home and I said, we need to be watching this. And um, I just, I really fell in love with a lot of the characters. Of course, I loved Picard. Picard was a very fatherly figure to me. And that was, it was comforting to watch him and the way he was with the crew. And of course, I, I had a crush on Dr. Crusher. So that was always enjoyable. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just really love the fact that the show always seemed very welcoming. They were always pushing boundaries as far as um, acceptance of differences. And, you know, I feel almost every child probably feels different. You know, you're in those awkward growing up stages and you don't quite feel like you fit in. At least that's my was my reality. It was just a really welcoming, safe place to sit back and enjoy. I like that idea of no one, no one is, is, you know, going to fit any sort of specific cookie cutter and stuff. And, and I often find that in the Trek community itself, that, that people gravitate there because I think we all agree that, you know, none of us are, are cut and dry and, and I don't know, like, I often like to separate all my friends into what what division they would be in or what rank they would have or where they would be on my starship. And it's interesting to think about how many times people will change and, and be different in that respect. So sort of hearing that echoed through your experience, Ryder, is, uh, well, it helps me know that I'm not crazy. And secondly, you know... Um, it gives. I, I feel like I feel like that gives us some some really cool kind of common ground that that I think sort of 
spans, I guess, the the entire quadrant of of Trek fans, maybe. Well, that that's really interesting that that you say that. I'm curious. Do you, if you don't mind me throwing out a question, do you have any friends that are just forever Ensign Kim? They just never get better as people. They will not be promoted. They will be an Ensign forever. Yes, actually, I do. I have uh, I have I have a couple of friends who who may never get promoted, but uh, you know what? They always they always make it. They always uh, they always come out in the end, and um, yeah, they're always they're always very reliable. Bless their hearts, friends. Bless their hearts. They try. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The good thing is, <laughs> cool. is they've never been killed and replaced by someone from an alternate universe, nor have they turned into a salamander. Excellent, excellent. And you know what? You can't really ask for all that much more than that at the end of the day. So that's good. That's good. Uh, I have some friends that I would like to freeze in warheads and then just leave them in space. But <laughs> that's just the weekend for me. And then most weekdays I realize, well, these are my people. I have to be in love with them. <laughs> so, that, uh, no, I just, I just, yeah, I just wanted to add really quickly that that is such an interesting way of a kind of uh, incorporating Trek into your uh, perception and vision of the world in a way that I've not heard before, you know, like you always hear people talking about, you know, embracing the ideals and the values and trying to, you know, live in, in, in that type of way. But actually looking at your life and looking at the people and saying, God, you know what? My, my friend Bill, he is such the science officer. I would give him a rank of commander and I'd probably trust him in most situations is, is something that I've never heard before, but I think is brilliant. And later tonight, I think I'm going to come out with a list of my own yeah. um, because I think you're I, I think it's time that the people in my life knew their place. So good for you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, yeah, do it with uh, do it with people at work too. That is something that we uh, that I like to do. Also, in fact, uh, I am a school administrator up in Canada here, and uh, I do I have done that with basically everyone in the school. I basically know pretty much if we were suddenly becoming a starship, I know where everyone would go. Nice, nice. Well. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of kind of that play, did you guys play Trek as a kid? Did you ever did you guys ever do that? Uh, I never did because I actually it's interesting. I came out as gay before I came out as a Star Trek fan because it was easier to come out as gay than it was to come out as a Trekkie. So uh, for the very beginning, you know, uh, it was something for me. I kept it to myself, you know, like. Uh, my family knew that I watched the show and I liked the show and my very close friends, you know, they would. But I didn't make a point of advertising it to, you know, really anyone until, you know, I, I'd say like post college years. And that's when I started. My first job was I um, was I, I did celebrity interviews and movie reviews for a radio station and completely abused my power and. I requested interviews with all the Star Trek actors because they were my heroes. And I said, well, I want to meet them and I want to talk to them. And so at that point, I outed myself because people kept asking, like, well, why are you talking to Denise Crosby about a documentary? I'm like, because it's important. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is awesome. And it's something that I definitely want to return to that that you're saying, you know, coming out as a Trek fan came before coming out as gay. And, and I think that's, that's really, that's really cool. There's, so there's something yeah. that I need to consider there. What about you, Ryder? Did you, did you play as a, as a kid play any Trek? 
Well, I was just going to echo off what Dan said. And I actually, I came out as gay before coming out as a Trek fan too. It wasn't uh, just me. I no, love you're not. That <laughs> That's amazing. It's so much easier. It is. It is, really is. Is that because you, you guys feel like there is a hostility or animosity to people who might be in the LGBTQ community that are Star Trek fans? Or is it just that being a Star Trek fan felt like the hardest thing in the world at the time to you guys? Are we the vegetarians of sci-fi? <laughs> <laughs> Worse, I think we're the vegans, my friend. I think we're the vegans. Wow. Hey, Ryder <laughs> and I are both vegan. So yeah. thanks, guys. So you can feel the pain already. I, <laughs> I get you. <laughs> I think for me, it was uh, it was very much the the time and the fact that you know uh, indulging in something like Star Trek that is something in a universe that is so all encompassing. I mean, remember, Star Trek is one of the first cinematic universes. You know, that is a term that we use now today very flippantly because there are so many of them. But Star Trek really was the first one of its kind in that sense. And as far as television and and movies go, um, so it was the first thing where you could really lose yourself in that if you let it happen. If you weren't careful, you could lose yourself in there. And there's something just inherently... God, I don't know. It's just such an esoteric thing that you love so much that you just feel like no one is going to understand why. Because they're not going to understand the universe. They're not going to understand my love for it. And I I don't think they're going to take the time to try to understand. So I'd rather just keep it to myself and, you know, not have to deal with all of that. But then, you know, a decade later, all of a sudden, thanks to Marvel and 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 other uh, Marvel and DC and comic book movies and and all of these amazing things that have that have cropped up, you know, suddenly it's it's no longer esoteric. Everyone gets it, even if they don't know the particulars of your cinematic universe. They know what that is, and I think there's an there's an there's an understanding there that previously had not existed. So. I think that if I were coming of age today, I'd be out immediately as a Star Trek fan and then gay second. But back then, people had – this is scary. Back then, I grew up on Staten Island in New York. Back then, Staten Islanders had a little bit more understanding of gays than they did Trekkies. So, yeah. Wow. And, Dan, that's kind of what I was going to go off of too is, you know, for me, it, it was ego. Because you can be gay and you can still be cool. Mm-hmm. You're going to admit to being a Trekkie. You mm-hmm. have to be ready for people to, you know, to say that you're a nerd and to think to think that that you're a nerd. And um, it took me a while to be, be ready for that. Exactly. Yep. And I'm totally so agree. glad I, I came of age at a completely different time because now I actually feel the opposite. I feel like when I talk to my non-nerd friends, they feel a little closed off when it comes to nerdy topics they feel a little embarrassed that they're not into the same thing that 10 people at the table are into so it's it's just that's such a fascinating viewpoint 
Oh yes, the tables have turned, my friend. Very nerds have so. taken over. It's the yes, it is now the you know the the nerds and computer club are now the jocks of yesterday, and the jocks of yesterday are now the nerds because it's like yeah, good luck with continuing to play football. That's going to really give you a nice future, I can almost guarantee. But where you know, but then you've got the nerds who are like, I'm going to rule the world in about ten years, and everyone says like crap you know what he probably will so the paradigm has absolutely shifted you're right i wish i was coming of age now i think it would have been a lot smoother uh, process for me <laughs> yeah let's see what those jock skills will work as when the crystalline entity takes over and people need take care taking care of the artificial intelligence exactly like good luck figuring that out meathead mm-hmm. <laughs> i know what you're saying he's gonna hit hit by that beam and you won't know what to do in the cave so <laughs> with um with that then like First of all, like you both have blown my mind in such a way, like, obviously, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I, I, I've i actually had the honor of ha- having two students who have talked to me about struggling growing up in uh, and, and, and coming out and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it's a it's a it's a growing process. And it's a it's an empowering process, but it's difficult. And, and I find it fascinating how you guys are saying that actually, you know, it can be a challenge as well to tell your friends that you liked Star Trek back in the day, whereas now it's super easy because yeah, you're right. Nerds have taken over the world. So, okay. You've come into the, the Star Trek community. How inviting and accepting was the Star Trek community as an out person? I have found the Star Trek community to be very welcoming. Um, I went to my first convention in Las Vegas two years ago. And, you know, I didn't actually meet many other queer people there. I went with a good friend of mine. And so I got to meet all of her friends, which was wonderful. And everyone was very welcoming. And I would be interested uh, to make more of an effort in subsequent years to become more of the queer Trek community. Was that 2000? I don't mean to interrupt, but was that 2016 in Vegas that you were there? Yes, it that was the first year of gays in space. And see, I, I didn't go that year. I went the I went last year. And oh, la- oh so you went twenty seventeen. I've been twice. Yeah. Okay. Well, we were there both. We we started in twenty sixteen, but trust me, I, I do not. I am not at all surprised that you maybe didn't hear about us because. The uh, the one in 2016 was such an impromptu thing that I planned it about, I don't know, I'd say three weeks as being generous. So maybe two weeks beforehand, I because I had already planned on being at the convention as a member of the press. I would go and cover and interview people. And I figured, you know what, while I'm there, this monumental step in in the LGBT community and in the Star Trek community just took place. We just saw our first actual gay man alive and well in the future with the character of Sulu and his husband. And, you know, even though it was kind of like a a quick thing, I felt that it was super significant and should be, you know, uh, commemorated. So we did this party super impromptu. And uh, I I didn't know if anyone was going to care. You know, the, the question of being gay in the uh, Star Trek community, I had no idea because I had never really kind of tested those waters. So I figured, God, if 12 people show up, I'm going to feel like a rock star. So when we did it and because of my uh, previous work interviewing the Star Trek actors, 
I was able to reach out to Nana Visitor, who plays Major Kira, and she agreed to come. And she said, Dan, I can come, but I can probably only stay for about 20 minutes. And I said, oh, my God, just having you there like means the world to us. Thank you so much. And she stayed for three and a half hours. And we had like 60 or 70 people show up. And this was like with no real like promotion or anything ahead of it. It was just that the Star Trek community was so excited by the idea of finally embracing the, and these were not complete. These were not, you know, a hundred percent all queer Star Trek fans. It was 50, 50 gay and non-gay. It was, you know, everyone who was so excited that the, the Roddenberry philosophy of, infinite diversity and infinite combinations was finally real for everyone that they they showed up and it became like a big thing and that was the moment when i realized that the star trek community as a whole is largely very very accepting of you know it it's queer members but like i said it was so fast i'm not surprised you didn't hear about us it took us another year at the next one in 2017, Creation actually gave us a panel, and we did a panel, Gays in Space, the Equality mm-hmm. Celebration Tour, with Nana Visitor, and another party after that, and we had a table in the vendor's room, and we had much more of uh, you know a presence. But even then, I still hear from people who are at the, the Vegas show, and they will say, oh my god, how did I miss you? Why didn't you tell me? It's like, I'm trying to tell everybody that I can. <laughs> It's just, I don't know, read Facebook more. I- I'm doing my best. But um, I, got, I got lucky. I had a, a good friend who actually bought me a ticket, which is the only way I went in 2017. And I am so thankful for that. Oh, sweet. Good, good. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Make sure you tell more friends. You guys too. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I totally hijacked that question. Go and just to, be, just to be sure, how can people get to you on Facebook and Twitter? You, uh, Facebook is our, is always our most up-to-date social media channel. Twitter is second. And we also have an Instagram that we're, we're building up slowly, but everywhere you look for us, we are gays in space. So three A's and three A's. And our main website is gaysinspace.org. Awesome. That sounds great. I, I look forward to being there this year, hopefully. Excellent. You'll, you'll be in Vegas. Yeah, man. That's our... Uh, that will be our big uh, celebration. All Everyone from the Tricorder Transmissions Network is going to be there, including Barry and I. Oh, that's fantastic. You guys, def- Saturday is Gaze in Space Day because Saturday we're doing a Gaze in Space family brunch around noon. And then we're doing our big Gaze in Space Live Long and Be Fabulous, the Wrath of Khan celebration at night. And that's the big one. That's the one that, you know, the majority of the actors come to and they're singing and we have a drag performer and we have like we have a a couple of like Hollywood actors who will just kind of come in and do like some stand up and costumes. It's insane. So I'm so happy you guys are going to be there. You definitely have to come to our events. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I've, I've always wondered just as a heterosexual viewer, is your viewing experience of Star Trek different? Like, do you gravitate to relationships that we typically don't gravitate to? Like, uh, for us, the whole Riker-Troy relationship is a big romantic focal point that we like to gush over and <laughs> fanboy about. Are there other relationships that you as a an LGBTQ plus viewer might have gravitated to and things you noticed that we didn't? 
I think I think Ryder, you might be able to answer this better than I would because as a gay man, I like sure I dabbled on the heterosexual side when I was younger. You know, I sampled the other side of the buffet, but I decided it wasn't for me. But my true romantic interest in Star Trek is and always has been first and foremost Tasha Yar. We should have been married, and followed by. Uh, Major Kira, and if it didn't work out with Kira, it was going to be Dax. So somehow, I've never been sexually attracted to any of the men on Star Trek, but many of the women. I mean, Bellana and I, we could, you know, it would have been rough, but we could have made it work. So, um, (laughs) I think I gave you a very confusing answer. So, Ryder, I'm I'm going (laughs) to Confirm to you now. Just, just before you get to it, Ryder, Dan, have you noticed how interesting it is that the three characters you chose are not the typical representations of women in Star Trek? One of them is very, both of them, two of them are very masculine, and the other one was a man in a former life. Yes, yes, that is absolutely not lost on me and probably explains it. But what it doesn't explain is the fact that um, I would have totally been into it. Like, totally into it. it it makes me question my gayness sometimes um especially <laughs> now that i've you know now that i've met them and befriended them and i mean denise crosby and i have known each other we realized her um her son augie just went uh just started in college at at uh, i think usc he's playing baseball for usc the very first time she and i met we did an interview on the day that she found out she was pregnant with augie so we've known each other for almost 20 years now. And uh, it's it's bizarre because still when we hang out, I'm like, you know, could have made it work. Could have made it work. Just <laughs> could have made it work. <laughs> I'm sorry. You go, Ryder. Well, as far as uh, relationships go, I think I actually made up a lot of relationships that I would have liked to see. I would have liked to see Jadzia Dax have some kind of romantic flirtation with Major Kira. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yes. But also, as for the relationships that actually existed, I, I mean, even as if you like the character and you're attracted to the character, I think you enjoy seeing them in a romantic situation. So I always really loved the subtext uh, between Dr. Crusher and Captain Picard. They had some really fun romantic subtext going on. I completely agree. Dr. Crusher and Picard on The Next Generation, Mm -hmm. to me, was the most interesting relationship because it, aside from the flash forward to the future where they get the first, you know, divorce in the 24th century, it never really went anywhere. They always toyed with it and teased it. And it seemed that no matter what... The fans said, because the fans very much wanted to see that happen, and the actors very much wanted to see that happen, the writers refused to ever really pull the trigger. And uh, versus the Riker and Troy relationship, which is, I mean, I mean, it's a real relationship. Like, those are two people that were together. We always knew that they would eventually be together again. But with Picard and Crusher, I completely agree. It was so compelling because you didn't know what the heck was going to happen with them. If they would, you know, it was the Ross and Rachel of the 24th century when you didn't know, like, will they or won't they? Who knows? I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I have to disagree. The Ross and Rachel of the 24th century were Picard and Q. The sexual <laughs> tension is just, you could cut that with a knife. Get a room, Picard and Q. 
Now that's something I would many occasions. <laughs> oh, that is, you know what? That is, I, I'm going to need an absolute copy of this because this that that was amazing. I have not brilliant, sir. Brilliant. You are a thousand percent right, and I can't believe I didn't think of that one. Well, Barry done. brings the smarts. I bring the funny. <laughs> so speaking speaking of maybe kind of getting a little more philosophical on the matter just to talk about Picard and Crusher specifically part of me wonders if maybe it's our 20th 21st century brains going well these two should be a couple and they're on TV so therefore they must be and maybe the idea of of understanding that perhaps a more sophisticated understanding would be would be something a little bit better in the 24th century. Dan, you'd mentioned that you said you sampled from both sides of the buffet. I know I'm heterosexual because I too sampled and checked and was like, well, let's just make sure of this kind of thing. And and I found myself on, on, on a specific side of the spectrum myself and feel comfortable in that. And I wonder if, you know, if we were to really properly portray 24th century romance and pair bonding, if maybe those sorts of things would be more portrayed and and maybe in that respect can we see the 1980s 1990s and 2000s and 2010s showing in star trek writing where maybe trek is pulling its punches a little bit uh, so as not to upset anyone shall we say well i i I think that's so interesting because just in posing the question you were leaps and bounds ahead of anything that was going on during the filming of any of the Star Trek shows except for Discovery. Because, sure, a gay man has no problem saying that he has slept with women. Because it's like, see guys, like I was, I was good for a little while. You know, at least I got in there for the first quarter. But you would <laughs> never have, you would never have heard a heterosexual man saying, you know what? I gave it a shot because who knows that in and of itself is that's amazing to me that, that you made that statement and that we live in a time where you can make that statement and it does not change anything, you know, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, saying that would have to the masses, which I sometimes like to call the asses, would have made you gay like oh well he tried he's like "Mm, let's relax everybody no 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 just because he sampled the other side of the buffet doesn't mean he's gonna be back for more (laughs) and i think the fact that in today's day and age you can say that and feel safe saying that it proves that when we were watching star trek back then we weren't watching it through the most evolved eyes and I think that watching it again today, through the eyes of today, it, to the point that we have evolved as people, would absolutely change our perspective on things like that relationship. Because in looking back on it, you're, maybe they had the best relationship because no matter what, they were always going to love each other and they were always going to be close And maybe it was our limited perceptions back when we first watched it that made us think, well, they have to be one or the other. And I I, I think it's kind of great that you just challenged that. And yeah, I had never thought of it that way before. And that's that's pretty incredible. Thank you very much. I think, um, you know, I feel like Star Trek had a lot of those relationships that were kind of nebulous 
Ooh, I like it. <laughs> my bad attempt at a pun. <laughs> but when you think of it as is through a queer lens, I'm thinking of the rejoined episode from DS9, mm-hmm. where uh, Jadzia Dax uh, ends up coming into contact with Lenara, who was also their trills were together in previous lives. And it's this kind of idea that the laws forbid trills to reconnect with previous lovers and to me it was this metaphor for society and because they were two women that you know it's not socially acceptable in our society and so they kind of reminded me of the crusher picard where they kind of you know have the subtext but they never quite get to go there and of course there was the one kiss Mm -hmm. which was amazing for 1995 Yes. But other than that kiss, they just had to be comfortable leaving it. You know, it's it's sad in a way, but I think it was reflective of the times and of some how some relationships would go. You, you know, I think there were probably some people who felt, is it worth it? Are the consequences worth it to, you know, pursue a gay relationship? It's it's pretty fascinating that you brought up a comparison to the real world because my next question to both you guys was uh, what what do you think the real world is on a general basis as opposed to the specific incidents that keep happening? If we take those out, how do you think the general status quo is for the LGBTQ plus community today in the world? And do you think Trek has done anything positively or maybe negatively to change that perception? Well, I think that um, going back to what what Ryder was saying about the correlation between the uh, Trill relationship, and once again, this is something I had not considered. I'm really enjoying this conversation. You guys are opening so many doors for me. This is awesome. But you you were saying the, the correlation to the Trill taboo which is the only way that that story could be told on television back then, was that the price of pursuing love worth it. And at that time, in 1995, 95 or 96, whenever it was, many, many gay people, queer people, were struggling with that question day in and day out. I was one of them. I, I you know... And I had to decide whether or not it was worth the price that I would pay that I would not get to have the wife and the kids and the white picket fence and the perfect life, but I'd be able to love. And that's exactly what that episode was was saying. When you watch it today, I, I, I think it it kind of plays it kind of plays a little bit more toward because we are we understand so much more now that we realize what they were trying to say. And if the the censors had not had the power that they had back then, what we would have seen were relationships between women who just happened to be attracted to women and men who just happened to be attracted to men. There wouldn't have been the need for the sci-fi twist of like, all right, listen, we realize you're watching two women kiss, but trust us. The reason it's okay is because one of those women used to be a man because he's a worm and he was married to another <laughs> worm who was a woman at the time. So the man and the woman are actually kissing, not two ladies. That's why it's okay. So 
I feel like the 90s was full of that. I mean, I just think about I used to be a Xena Warrior Princess fan. And the only way that Gabrielle and Xena could kiss was if, like, Gabrielle was somehow in some man's body. (laughs) Oh, my God. The perfect example Uh, of the 90s view on sexuality. Xena Warrior Princess. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Shout out to Lucy Lawless. Woohoo. Oh yeah, Lucy Lawless. Seriously. She she is a number of people I know, including myself, spirit animal sometimes. She's amazing. Each captain challenged a paradigm. And I'll and I'll start that with Kirk. Of course, when he kisses Uhura, it is the first interracial kiss on television. And it's amazing and it 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 you know threw a lot of people off and stuff like that. So I like to think that each captain changes a paradigm. Now, I have thoughts on this as well, but what I'd like more so, Ryder, if I could start with you, is asking for you what captains, if if all or if any or a few, change a paradigm or a pre-existing paradigm, especially inside of the Star Trek community that you think has helped us as a society? Well, one that comes to mind is Captain Sisko. And the fact that he is this emissary to the Bajoran people. And, you know, when you think of a captain, I I don't think of spirituality, really. I think of someone who's very practical um, and not someone who's necessarily a spiritual leader. And he does seem to struggle with this and, you know, says, "I'm, I'm not this spiritual leader. And in the end, though, he has to end up embracing it. It's just, it it was really interesting to me to see this captain, a very, you know, practical authority figure, have to embrace this spiritual side. Even the show did a lot to encourage spiritual freedom. I think you're dead on because most people, when they talk about Cisco, go immediately to the you know, uh, a black father of a son and he's been widowed. And, but you went for the fact that he embraced spirituality, which was completely monumental for a Star Trek captain. Like a, a, a Starfleet captain looks at everything from a very scientific standpoint. And even though Cisco was able to explain why the prophets were able to do what they they do and and why they did what they did he eventually you know uh, developed a reverence for them and saw them in a very spiritual type of way which we have never seen before nor since in star trek so i think that's a fantastic point so i think i think maybe just to kind of lay into cisco a little bit i think he also does a fan he and both picard but i'm going to kind of lay into cisco a little more here that that he really challenges the the macho-ness paradigm in a lot of ways because you see him vulnerable you see him also very nurturing and loving to his son he kisses his son on camera and that's something that that you know you don't see very often like you know, if we go back to the 90s, the only person who would kiss their kids, it would be like Danny Tanner and his, his he's got daughters. So it's all good. Right. So I, I think that's really important. Well, and he's also the only Starfleet captain on a television series who has a child. Yes. You know, like, yeah, Kirk had a son that he had nothing to do with until one movie. And then in the next one, he dies. So I don't really count Kirk as a dad. Cisco is the only Starfleet captain with a child. He's the only person we've ever been able to see try to balance what it means to be 
a Starfleet captain and responsible for the lives of, you know, all these people under his command, but then also have the paternal love for his son that everyone, you know, that every father has. You know, there's there's the episode on Deep Space Nine, The Reckoning, where Cisco is so confident in the prophets and that the prophets will do what's right that the prophets take over Kira's body to fight as their she becomes their vessel and she fights for the prophets. The Pa Wraith take over Jake's body and he becomes their vessel. And the two of them are standing off. It's like it's like the OK Corral scene on the promenade. And Cisco is standing there watching this battle happen. Jadzia comes out and says, that's your son. That is your son out there. You need to stop this. And he responds, no, the prophets are going to protect him. And she says, very truly, they are trying to kill him because that's what the whole battle was about. Kira, as the prophet, killing the paw wraith that was in Jake. And so in that moment, we had to watch a Starfleet captain decide between the safety of the station and his people and the love he has for his son, coupled with the spirituality factor where he truly now is a believer. When the hell has anything like that ever happened on Star Trek before? That is that is a good and like amazing deep cut. And I think, yeah, it does tie in that that, you know, when you think of who watches the watchers and Picard's anger at being thought of as a God, or, you know, we, we, we got rid of the sort of the religious paradigm for you to bring that up, Ryder, I think is very important because being spiritual is something that is deep within a person. And for you to, to, to catch that, that's amazing. And Dan, what a deep cut. Great job. Thank you. I wouldn't have gotten there if Ryder hadn't mentioned it because I hadn't thought of it. This is, Again, so great, guys. So you got a really good thing going on here. This is good stuff. Just my two cents. I I think the captain that really changed a paradigm was Jellico by teaching us just how horrible a captain actually can be. Save it for the debate, Shashank. <laughs> We're going to have a debate soon, and it's going to be against our, our illustrious fellow tricorder brother, Jim Morehouse. He hosts Trek Ranks, and both Jim and uh, um, Shashank think that Jellicoe is terrible, and I think Jellicoe's all right. So we're going we're gonna to save that discussion now, and we're going to move on to the next question. <laughs> I, I'm going to, if I could, I just want to throw out two things real quick. Well, three things. First, tell me when that episode airs because I really want to hear it. Two, Jellico actually, in all of his awfulness, made two things happen for the good that they had been trying to get from the beginning that never happened. One, get the fish out of the ready room. Patrick had been saying since day one, I'm an explorer in the 24th century, and I have a fish in a tank in my ready room? That makes no sense. So they use Jellicoe's like, you know, kind of like dickishness to throw that in there. And they finally gave Troy a proper uniform and she could feel like an actual member of the crew instead of a, a very beautiful potted plant on the bridge, as she likes to say. So, yeah, just those props to Jellicoe. Jim, I reserve the right to use the second argument in our debate. Yeah, Dan, I thought you were on our side, but OK, man, I, I see how I see how, where the battle lines are. But I would... <laughs> 
this could be a very positive question you could answer it as lightly or as seriously as as you'd like it to but i always just as a person tend to try to find things that we can do better what do you think the trek community both online and in the real world can do better for the lgbtq plus community that wants to be so involved and so deeply stimulated by what trek has to offer i think um i i i think that's a great question and i think it's an important question because I think it's one that Star Trek fans who have never really encountered uh, queer people or in their lives other than through, you know, media and what they may have picked up from media. I think the most important thing that can be done is for people to realize that simply because we are celebrating the fact that we finally exist, that we can finally see ourselves reflected in this future this utopian future that Roddenberry created for all mankind that we were excluded from for over 50 years, just because we are celebrating that does not mean that we are trying to take over the galaxy. Gays are not trying to take over the galaxy. Gay fandom is not trying to take over Star Trek fandom. And I think there's a misunderstanding with some members of the Trek community that simply because we are now able to talk about what makes us proud, to talk about what what makes us feel respected, is in some way a threat to what came before. And that's simply just not the case. There, I mean, when people ask me about gays in space and they'll ask the question, well, oh God, but but I'm straight, can I come? And it's like, oh my God, of course, like, it's called the Equality Celebration Tour. It's about the fact that gay people are not better. We're not more special. We are just finally a part of the whole group. And I think letting Star Trek fans know that it's just about us celebrating the fact that we're now finally with them. We don't stand apart. We're with them now is super important. I really agree with what Dan said. Um, I have not luckily experienced any hate or anything in within the Star Trek community. So I'm very thankful for that. And I think just as people, you know, continue to meet people who are different from you and not be afraid of their differences and just greet people as a person with respect and dignity and just include everyone really. I like that. And, and the inclusiveness is something that, that I, I feel quite a bit as well. Um, going, going into Trek, Trek groups, even, even online, sometimes things can get a little heated over certain, certain series and stuff, but all in all, I think if we all just remember, we love the same, the same thing and have the same, you know, I think it, loving Trek means you share a vision and I think that's important. So as a, I, I, I tend to tear TV shows apart and movies apart, and I like to analyze them and stuff like that. And I would wonder, you know, we, we do, as you guys have mentioned, everyone's mentioned here, um, the relationship that has finally come to fruition between Paul Stamets and Hugh Culber, acted by the wonderful Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz. Their relationship is portrayed in a real sense in Star Trek Discovery. My critique is, why did they have to off... Hugh Culber, and this is, of course, spoiler alerts, I'll, I'll say that at the beginning. 
Why do we get this relationship and suddenly it gets stripped away? And some people may say, oh, but his spirit might come back or something. I don't want Patrick Swayze in Ghost. I want a (laughs) real relationship where there's ups and there's downs and stuff. And as I was saying, Ryder and I were talking about this. I don't necessarily want like Jim and Pam from the office in space. And I don't necessarily want, you know, some kind of Twilight style where they're always fighting each other or they're weirdly obsessed with one another. But like a functional relationship that we, I, I don't know if we got a full one. And I'm wondering if that was noticed or felt, or if we're just happy that we've got some people who are part of the team. I personally, I noticed it. Um, I was very disappointed because it is 2018. And I feel like this is an age old Hollywood trope, if you will, that they throw in the gay couple, but they have to have some horrible ending. One ends up dying or they both end up dying. I mean, you know, Stamets ends up pretty much a a vegetable for a while. And I really was hoping that Star Trek would deviate from that um, and that we would get a relationship with uh, depth and honesty. And I would love to see a happy ending. And I thought it was really unfortunate that they kind of stuck to that old formula of the gay couple with the tragic ending. Yeah, I um, okay. I have two thoughts on that. Star Trek Discovery has the most diverse cast of any Star Trek series in history. And as a result of that, coupled with the fact that they want to go all Game of Thrones style, where lots of people are going to die, statistically, the odds are the people who are going to die are going to be people of color or the gay guy, just mathematically, because we there it's the first show that doesn't have an overabundance of straight white people so it's like bravo like yes thank god finally but then when you look at the body count i mean again statistically people of color and the gay guy somebody was going to go so i give them credit in that sense now i also feel like everything in star trek discovery is shortened because of the fact that it's only 15 episodes for for Star Trek, we're used to, you know, 23 episodes uh, a season and multiple seasons to be able to tell a story. So it seems that everything in Star Trek Discovery is like it, it, it's like uh, cooking the Thanksgiving Day turkey in a microwave with Star Trek Discovery. You're not patient enough to wait for it to be done properly in the oven. You're going to nuke it and just take whatever comes out. So <laughs> so Star Trek Discovery is a nuked Thanksgiving Day <laughs> turkey. I just said that. Anyway, so um, I kind of feel like the relationship between Stamets and Colbert is – Uh, is a casualty, no pun intended, of that fact, because you have this unprecedented, beautiful relationship between these two men in Star Trek that we've never seen before, that we've wanted for so long, that we were so happy to see that when one of them is killed, one, it's more powerful. It's a more powerful thing that will get people talking, and that's, you know, in a dramatic show, that's what you want. But I also feel, and this is just my own musings on the situation, I believe that when they were creating the story originally, they never expected P 
people to respond so positively and so fervently for the gay couple. I believe they put it in there because they felt, you know what, we have to do this at some point. Maybe it'll fail. Maybe it won't. Just put it in and let's just get it over with. And then midway through, they started seeing the numbers and they started seeing the feedback. And it was all, largely all, so positive that I believe at that point somebody said, all right, come on. Are we still going to kill them? Really? Are we really still going to kill them? But that was the story. So they had to. So if you watch the final the, the final scene in in this, well, I don't know if it was the final scene, but at the end of the first season of Discovery, you've got that little orange like twinkle that lands on Tilly's shoulder. Personally, my guess is that was thrown in at the end, and that is the Spock McCoy mind meld at the end of the Wrath of Khan to give some kind of a way to bring him back because they knew they fucked up. It's a and just to add context to what you're saying, those are great points. But I I do feel just to take Barry's side for a second, it's important that we take these criticisms out as well because not just Star Trek Discovery, they've had this opportunity since 2009 Star Trek, especially if they were going to in the third movie tell us that Sulu is a gay character who has a husband. Mm-hmm. We did not need to have to wait three movies to find that out. It, it was. That was that was a missed opportunity, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think it took way too long. I mean, when you look at the history of Star Trek, I mean, the reason that Star Trek is Star Trek is because it was groundbreaking. It, it forced society forward with the first interracial kiss, with the first black captain, with the first female captain. Enterprise was the time to introduce the first openly gay character. And they were just too scared to do it. They were too afraid of rocking the boat. So I have always felt that our community missed the boat. Like that was our time. And we got skipped over. And so by the time they finally got back to us, it had really progressed to the point where it was a non-issue, which it is, thankfully. But in in the context of the story, it took them so long to finally include us that the inclusion seemed it, it, it seemed far less important than it should have. And it does seem a little cowardly too, just in my opinion, and this is just mine, that the one time you would give us a real homosexual relationship portrayal in Star Trek is a show for which I am paying money to go on an app. Mm-hmm. That that just seems like very uh, that that seems like a very very safe approach and almost non very non Star Trekky to me. I think there are some redemption here, and and I want our audience to know these are constructive criticisms. I think we all liked Discovery quite a bit, and I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I, that, at least on my end, I definitely enjoyed it. I think when we saw the chemistry between the characters, the um, find your way home moment when when you have that sort of spirit. Culber show up and talk to Stamets in the mycelial network. And I think you've, I think you're onto something, Dan, that, that I, that they've got to find a way to get Hugh Culber back just to enrich and build the story of, you're right, the first, the first gay characters, openly gay characters in, in space. And, and, you know, we can't, we can't have everything, even though we may think that, that, you know, hey, you know, we're ready for this. I guess maybe there aren't people who are, but what a great way to at least open the door to this, because I do know there are a lot of people who who may still have their reservations, who were exposed nonetheless. And I do applaud 
the fact that that did happen. Those of us who are are very much fine with it would have loved a longer, more nuanced story. And and I hope we get one because we were hopefully here we get another six seasons of this series and we can we can delve deeper into it and and enjoy watching a real love story. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, when you were talking earlier about, you know, just a regular relationship, what is more regular than the scene where they're brushing their teeth together? Absolutely. Doesn't matter. Boy, 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 girl, girl, girl. Like that is just that is what it means to be a part of a couple. That scene, simple as it is, it for me drove the message home that, you know what, this isn't a big deal. This is just natural because they're human beings and this is a particular type of human being. And for the first time, it was me. And I, I, God, loved that, loved seeing that. It was nurturing, and that's what I liked about it. Was was good. good. It, and again, you know, if we want to think about other nurturing moments, you know, in in Star Trek that have existed before, it fits in that that sort of nurturing sense. When we were at WonderCon just uh, two weeks ago with Nana Visitor, she sat on the Gaze in Space panel with us, and someone brought up the question about. Why did they have to kill the gay guy? Why they finally give us a wonderful, heartfelt gay relationship that we love. And then they had to go and kill him. Why? And so Nana answered and she said, you know, it reminds me of the end of Deep Space Nine when we found out that the plan initially was to kill Cisco, I didn't know this. This was this was a piece of Star Trek trivia that I had not heard before. But she said they were going to kill Cisco, and Avery. Thankfully, he now had seven years of seniority that he could wage this battle with them. But he went into the office and said, "No, you cannot kill a black man with a son." And a wife who is pregnant with another child on the way. You cannot do it. And they fought and they fought. And eventually, thankfully, Avery won. And they decided, okay, fine. He's not dead. Now he's an oracle. Now he's a prophet. Okay, is that better? Fine. Nana said, I don't know if that was any better. But I do know that because of the time he had spent as the captain for those seven years is the only reason he was able to win that battle for the gay character. We're brand new. We are brand new on the block. No one has any power yet. So she so her opinion was, yes, it's unfortunate that it happened, but you know what? The next time there is a relationship like this, they'll know not to do that. And we'll be in a better position to influence a better outcome, which I thought was a, a, a really optimistic, really Star Trek way of looking at the situation. I was very disappointed that he died, but I understand why it happened from a creative standpoint. And, you know, it's it's the entertainment business and it was the business side of things that made that happen. But the way she related that story about Avery and 
the way it correlates to what was happening on Discovery, I thought was a beautiful, a beautiful connection and can just make us feel confident in the fact that, you know what, the next time it happens, it's going to be better. One other thing I was going to mention was was the concept of the word queer and how it is an encompassing subject. And would we say that any Star Trek characters maybe set off, for lack of a better term, maybe a bit of a queer dar in us? Phlox is the queerest character ever <laughs> created. I have t- Billingsley and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Wasn't gay, but super queer. Super queer. I can Even get- queerer than Garrick? Oh, so much queerer than Garrick. So much more because Phlox did it without any kind of malevolency attached to it. Phlox was just like, yeah, baby, let's do this. Like, life, here we go. I want to enjoy everything. He was the guy who enjoyed the entire buffet over and over again. <laughs> yes. Love flocks. <laughs> um, of course, both both the Daxes, I would say, definitely had a very queer vibe. I would say Data had a bit of it, too. And I've been thinking about him a little bit in sort of a... You know, Data and Odo, actually, were, were maybe some of the more, more like lost or missed chances to it because they both i mean odo could be whoever he wanted and he chose a male sense to that but i wonder if if they could have played with that with maybe another uh shapeshifter or changeling uh perhaps and then also when data decides to be a parent you know he 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 goes about it he has a daughter he chooses all these sort of interesting things he 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 gets a chance to sort of experience life on such a a, a broader and grander level and you know, I wonder if if hampering him in specifically a masculinity that might have been almost a way to 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 hold him back again. But yeah, that, that's kind of where I'd go with it. It's a it's a pretty good observation, Barry. And I do think if Data was being portrayed today in some in something Star Trek today, I I would think that instead of Tasha taking him into the bedroom, it would have been a man taking him into the bedroom, and he would have been a part of it just because of his curiosity and his need to be human. They needed to get drunk one more time. You're absolutely right. They needed that (laughs) episode to happen a second time because you know by the second time he'd be like, curious, what does a man feel like? Yes, love it. Should have happened. So in conclusion, I want to ask you folks, first of all, how we can get in touch with you on the famous interwebs. And also, what are your most exciting directions that Trek can go in in the next series of Discovery and as a franchise itself. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is vegan rider, all one word, rider spelled with a Y. And as far as where I think Trek can go, I feel like Trek is moving to a place of wonderful inclusion. I love the Discovery series for all of the diversity that it has. I mean, I think the fact that we have female captains, we have a black female captain is just so groundbreaking and way overdue. And I'm so glad that we have a gay couple and I just hope that they continue to move forward. And when they are including people, I would just like them to continue showing these people as real ordinary people, as characters with depth and characters who are just like all of us, just everyday people, and really normalizing the differences between all of us. That is beautiful. 
Love it. Dan, that how, was, can, how can people get in touch with you? My preferred thing is that you come to our Facebook page because Facebook is updated the most frequently. So you just find us facebook.com backslash gaze in space spelled with three A's and three A's. Uh, we're also on Twitter, on Instagram, and our main website is gazeinspace3as3as.org. And as far as where Star Trek can go in the future, I feel like there's such a great opportunity in the, this next season of Discovery and, and whatever else Star Trek might uh, produce in the future to have a trans character as a member of the crew. That is the, in my opinion, that is the next step. When we were at AwesomeCon just last weekend, we had Callie Wright. Callie Wright is the host of a podcast called The Gaytheist Manifesto, and she is a trans woman and has very, very eloquently expressed why this is so important. And she has opened my eyes personally to so much about the trans community that I previously previously was not aware of. I mean, I am admittedly a boring white gay dude. Like that's it. There's that, that, that is as complex as I get. And I am trying to learn as much about the rest of my community as I can, because it is an incredibly diverse group. And Kelly is an amazing advocate for the trans part of that community. And she and I had a conversation where, you know, if you saw two characters in the 23rd century or 24th century where presumably medical technology would make it possible for a trans individual to undergo a very quick, easy shift, you know, a very quick, easy change, then what you're left with is the question of, well, what happens when you have trans characters who choose to not undergo that very simple procedure? And what happens? happens when you put one of those people in a room with a trans person who chose to. And the conversations that can happen between those two characters, I find endlessly fascinating and incredibly relevant to today's times. And when you think about it, that's what Star Trek does best. It takes an issue that, you know, people today in in modern times are learning about, are struggling with, and, and presents it in a futuristic context so that we can try to understand it better. So my opinion is that I, I would love to see that happen. I think it would be uh, a, a credit not only to Star Trek, but to, you know, to the LGBTQ community at large. Dan, that is the Star Trek Discovery season two. I would pay five ninety nine a month to watch on CBS All Access. Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Bring back the scans. Oh, and that too, of course, obviously, yeah. duh. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'd like to I'd like to thank you both for for coming on. This has been illuminating and just a, a fantastic conversation. And uh, Ryder, I already, I already consider you a friend. And Dan, I hope I can consider you a friend now too, because you sound awesome. And I can't wait to to meet up in Vegas this year. Absolutely, man. I cannot wait to have you guys there. It's going to be so much fun, and obviously now you get in for free because you host a hell of a podcast, and I've had a great time, and I've got some drink tickets for you as well. So I am super excited to have you guys there. I'm just going to bring this recording as part of my entry, and hopefully they'll get us in. <laughs> Damn it, now I can't even pretend like I forgot. Oh, and I'm just going to come on Shashank's arm, so. <laughs> yeah, she, she can be my plus one, yep. 
<laughs> I love it. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Thank you. It really Thanks does mean so much to uh, to have you, you know, care about what I have to say on this topic. And um, yeah, it just it just means so much. So I, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Honestly, we are the ones who really, really are sincerely thankful because Barry and I tackle a lot of serious real world issues all the time. And we realized it's time we put where uh, our money, where our mouth is and get people on air who actually live diverse lifestyles. So we really appreciate you coming on air and talking to us. And with that, live long and prosper. <laughs> Peace and long life, my friends. Thank you. It was so wonderful, and I'm. I hope I'm not too much of an editing challenge for you, Barry. You, you are. You are not even remotely as close to an editing challenge as long as I am working with Mr. Avaru. Wow, this is <laughs> way to go, man! <laughs> Just no, a reminder I, that we have to do 300 more episodes of this show, so you better keep your company right. Oh, I know. I know. This, this Boom! Is there it is. In, in for a penny, in for a pound, folks. All right. Well, <laughs> wish you all a wonderful uh, rest of your beginning of your weekend, and uh, yeah, mm. we'll see you guys in LV. Awesome! Ah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. So now we find ourselves at the final thoughts. And just off the hob, I would like to just again thank Ryder and Dan for coming on. Shashank and I are so fortunate to have had a chance to speak with them. It was an illuminating conversation, and it's it really did make my week, and I hope you folks all enjoy it. So with our final thoughts, I think what I want to bring up the most just to start is, though it is essential to recognize and inform our relationships with others through how they express their identity, I am excited that within the Trek community, we do away with factionalism through identity. Sure, there are fractures within the Trek community, originating mostly over fan films, but when it comes to social structures connected to race, gender, orientation, affiliation, I find that though not ignored or downplayed, we present as a united front. I take this episode's conversation specifically as empirical proof of that which I'm saying to be true, not due to the conversation's uniqueness, but because it's a conversation that I've had and continue to have with fellow lovers of Trek. There are points within our discussions where we delve into a person's identity, experience, and even challenges centered from these issues. But from there, we use Star Trek stories we value to inform our discussions, focusing on that which is shared, along with our material circumstance. And so this is sort of eschews the inherent division latent within sort of directionless forms of identity politics, while better understanding that which is an intersectional unity within our community. So to put it differently, though different, we have a common unity. And that, I would say, is sort of a real manifestation of what the Federation is, a social structure of unity within the differences that define us. There's room for everyone here. Race, orientation, political affiliation, religion. Welcome, friends. It's not a free lunch here, however. The place we find ourselves is the culmination of... of the place that we find ourselves is from the culmination of work of Trek fans, past and present. They have done so much work and continue to do work, creating a shared space 
pun intended, for the intersections in which we find ourselves within the Star Trek community. And there's still so much work to do, as made clear by this and many other discussions. It is therefore the spirit of this community that's the driving force. Yes, we love a show, a franchise designed to profit from revenue. As a person who identifies politically as a leftist, I note the contradiction. So what sets us apart from other fandoms? Without cliche, I'd say it's hope. Hope for a better future. Better, here, in our case, isn't some feel-good adjective we can merely place on a hat and be done with. Here, the better we speak of is the interplay between characters, all stripes, interacting and working together on a starship, on a planet, within a framework that sees beyond scarcity and exploitation as it is portrayed in TNG and in TOS. That better again, is not easy and must be challenged and redefined. It's not static, nor is it is its permanence guaranteed once it's achieved. DS9 and DSC take what we assume to be a given and make us encounter struggle and conflict within this concept of better. Within our unity, challenges remain. In all, we're presented really with a tangible goal and one that's not so far away, but also one not easily acquired or maintained. There's been talk recently about what a true Trek fan is, and in my assessment, the people I share hope with, who work towards a tangible better, they are the true Trek fans, and I am honored to be on this journey with them. Well, that about does it for our episode of Polytrex this week. We hope you did enjoy us. Of course, uh, if you do have any ideas for our newscast this week, of course, you can find us on Facebook at at Polytrex. You can also call in as well, perhaps with a few uh, online or phone hashtags as well is always good. You can call us at uh, 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. If you have any news stories, remember to hashtag Polytrex and come up with your own Star Trek connection. Of course, also, you can find so many other great shows on our Tricorder Transmissions podcast network, along with fabulous shows like Shore Leave, Trek Ranks, Drawing Trek, Disco Trek, Reading Trek, Weekly Trek is now the new one as well. And of course, we have Trek Profiles, all of these great shows. I will mention that Shashank and I feature heavily in both the first and uh, second episodes of uh, Weekly Trek. Uh, Shashank takes the first episode and i take the second one as well so that is pretty great and if you're still looking for fantastic trek out there there are so many podcasts to choose from but you can always check out our good friends dan and bill at the trek geeks so with that we hope that you all live long and prosper and onward to star siding <laughs>